A reading from Genesis, the 24th chapter, beginning at the first verse. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he, became, and he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let your jar that I may drink and who shall say, drink and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, she came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. And she said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, "'Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night?' She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, 
who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the men and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. And Laban said, speak on. So the servant said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell. But you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from my clan and from my father's house. And then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. So I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink. And who will say to me, drink and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, Behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. And I said to her, Please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, Whose daughter are you? And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. And then I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you're going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. 
When Abraham's, Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. And her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least 10 days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, do not delay me. Since the Lord has prospered my way, send me away that I may go to my master. They said, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Beer Lahai Roy and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah. And she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I speak to you in the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So this morning I wanted to preach on Genesis 24, and it actually never appears in our three-year lectionary. For those who don't know, in liturgical traditions like Anglicanism, a lectionary is the schedule that appoints the scriptures we read each Sunday on a three-year cycle. And for the most part, it's a wonderful gift for the parish and for the preacher, as it, it covers most of Scripture and certainly all, most all of the important passages. But it also requires the preacher to grapple with passages that they might otherwise be inclined to avoid. However, I have a list of the passages that the lectionary skips over. And I noticed this week that this passage was on it. But it was probably left out, not because it is unimportant, but because, as you just discovered, it is so long. And yet, it's not really a passage that can be trimmed enough to still maintain the gist of the story. So this week, whether I was led by the Holy Spirit or by my own curiosity or some combination, I decided to dig into this passage that I've never paid much mind to and particularly with the help of a scholar named Jack Sasson, whom I'll draw, draw upon liberally today. But let me begin with a little background to set the context of this story. You may recall from my sermon on Genesis 12 back in early March, 
how God had chosen Abraham, named Abram at the time, to leave his country and kin and travel to the region of Palestine, the land of the Canaanites. And even though he and his wife Sarah were 75 years old with no children, God promised to make him into a great nation through whom all the families of the earth shall be blessed, according to God. So that happened in Genesis chapter 12. Then in last month's sermon on Genesis 18 and 21, we saw how after this promise and after Abram left his homeland, more than two decades had passed and Abraham and Sarah still remained childless, which led Sarah to laugh when she heard God's promise repeated. But chapter 21 reports that in the year that followed Sarah's laughter, she did conceive and bear a child whom Abraham named Isaac, which means laughter. Well, by the time chapter 24 opens, another 40 years have passed. And according to chapter 23, Isaac's mother, Sarah, has died in recent years. So Abraham, at the opening of 24, appoints the leading servant in his household, who's never named in this chapter, to go and seek a bride for his son. Now one might assume that Abraham sends a servant in order to avoid having to make the trip himself at the age of 140. As a side note, I don't know if the book of Genesis counts people's ages in dog years or... It's just what it says. I didn't write the book. But while age may have been a factor, it's most likely that by sending a servant for this task of getting a bride for his son, Abraham's assuming the customs that would have been followed by a ruler or king in that age. This makes sense since in previous chapters, Abraham is treated this way by other peoples as a ruler. And it was common for kings in ancient times to do this, to commission an emissary to negotiate and secure a bride for their son. But getting into the passage, in verses 2 to 4, Abraham makes his servant swear not to pursue a bride from the Canaanites, whom they lived among. And he instructs him instead to journey to Abraham's homeland, which we know to be Mesopotamia, near the city of Haran where he should seek a bride from Abraham's own kin. Now, this instruction or boundary of Abraham's mustn't be extrapolated into some universal rule against intermarriage across ethnic lines or anything ridiculous like that. Rather, Abraham was motivated in this particular situation, motivated by a religious concern for his family to remain faithful to the covenant God had made with them. And he knew that any assimilation with the surrounding peoples of Canaanites who worshipped other gods would jeopardize his family being able to remain faithful to this covenant. And yet, the servant expresses some doubt, rightly. He's concerned about whether a woman would agree to leave her home and her land to marry Isaac without ever even meeting him. Abraham also insists that the servant cannot take Isaac with him. Again, Abraham wants to ensure that his family remains in the land God's led them to. So Abraham responds to this concern in verse 7 by assuring the servant that God will send an angel before him. God will take care of it, he says. But if, he says if the woman doesn't, isn't willing, if the, God doesn't take care of it, 
then the servant's free of his oath. See, with God having already shown himself faithful to Abraham so many times, Abraham feels comfortable placing the burden upon God to provide a bride and to overcome any natural obstacles that there may be for his family to continue remaining faithful to the covenant. So Abraham's servant makes the oath by placing his hand under Abraham's thigh, which honestly is probably a euphemism for something a little more awkward, but I'll leave that for the footnotes. Then he takes 10 of his master's camels and heads north on a 500-mile journey that would have taken at least two weeks on the backs of animals, a full month by foot. But rather than stopping in the large, multi-ethnic city of Haran itself, the servant stops in the city of Nahor. Now, Nahor is Abraham's brother. So whether the city's named Nahor or whether it's, it's uh, saying this is the city Nahor lives in isn't entirely clear. And whether the servant stops there strategically or whether this is the Lord's providence at work isn't entirely clear either. But we do know that the likelihood of finding someone from Abraham's kin in a city named Nahor is much greater than in the big city of Haran. Well, the servant gets right to it. He doesn't waste any time. He has his camels kneel down at the well outside the city, and it's evening time when women would come out to draw water while it was cooler, but there was still daylight, so it was still safe. So the servant prays to God there. He says, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. He says, if the woman he asked for a drink then offers to water his camels, by this he shall know it is the one whom God has appointed for Isaac. Well, God's already on it. Because before the servant can even finish praying, Rebekah, a granddaughter of Nahor and a virgin who was very beautiful, we're told, came out to the well with her water jar. So the servant runs to meet her, which in those days was a sign of politeness to do that. And he asked her for a drink. And again, if she follows this by offering to water his camels, he'll know she's the one. But you may have some questions about this. This is what became known in the Bible later on as laying out a fleece, right? which was a mechanism for discerning God's will. It gets its name from the story of Gideon from Judges chapter 6, where he lays out a literal fleece. But for this kind of um, mechanism to really be trusted, understand it needed to be something that the chances of it happening were really low. For example, if I were to say to God, well, God, if you let the sun come up tomorrow, I'll know that you want me to buy a ski boat. If I were to say that to God, I'm not really serious about discerning God's will, about how to steward my money. No, I just want to feel better about splurging on the boat. So someone reading this might think similarly, that this servant saying, saying this to God at the well is kind of flimsy, right? Um, well, that's until you understand for a camel that hasn't had anything to drink in a few days and has a pretty empty hump, each camel could drink as much as 25 gallons. And this servant's got 10 camels. 
Yet a water jar usually held no more than three gallons. So do the math on that. This is possibly as much as 250 gallons of water needed from a jar that is three gallons. Right? Verse 20 says she drew water for all his camels. How many trips do you think she had to make back and forth to that well? We later even learn, in verse 32, we learn that the servant also had helpers who'd, who'd traveled with him, probably to feed the camels at all the other stops. So this is a quite unlikely scene, right? Just imagine those, those helpers standing around just watch this poor girl hauling back and forth water to all these camels. And when verse 21 says that while she did this, the servant gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord was saying she was the one, he probably had quite a bit of time to do this, to consider. Well, when she's done, the servant prepares what are essentially bridal gifts, a golden nose ring, which was popular in those days. I think it's coming back, actually. And two bangle bracelets. And he asked two questions, though, in pursuit of further confirmation that she's the Lord's choice. He asked whose daughter she is, and he asked if there's room in her father's house for him to spend the night. That question of lodging is a means for him to confirm that she's unmarried. Because if she were married, she wouldn't still be living in her father's home. He also, though, needs to find out the identity of her family in order to ensure that she is indeed from Abraham's kin, which we know at this point, but he doesn't. When he finds out that she is, finds out that there's room and to, to lodge, the servant gives thanks to God in verse 27. He says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham. He says, The Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Now, what follows after this, according to, to Sasson, is fairly conventional protocol for the merging of families in this ancient context. So when Abraham's servant and his men are brought to the father's home, their camels are fed, their feet are washed, and they're offered a meal. But Abraham's servant has no interest in noshing. Rather, he keeps his eye on the prize because there is still the matter of his master's requirement that the bride be willing to journey to the land of Canaan to, to marry Isaac sight unseen. So before accepting the meal, the servant insists upon being able to share with Rebekah's family about how the Lord has blessed his master Abraham. Now keep in mind that there's no reason at this point for us to assume that Rebekah's family actually knows or worships the God of Abraham. Remember, God kind of called Abraham out of the blue when Abraham wasn't worshiping him, right? And there's other reasons in the book of Genesis to think that they didn't really know the Lord yet. And this is where it's important to understand that whenever we see the word Lord in the Old Testament in all caps, which I don't know if that came through in the printing of the bulletin, but I, I put a little, a little carrot footnote mark all over that passage. For whenever that's the case, that's not just the word Lord in Hebrew. That in the Hebrew is the particular name of the God of Abraham, Yahweh or Jehovah. The name that God revealed to distinguish him from the gods, the false gods, the idols of the other peoples. So when the servant's telling Rebecca's family about all that the, the Lord has done for Abraham, he's talking specifically about this God that Abraham followed to the land of Canaan. And he's telling them this so they can rest easy that Rebecca will be happy 
that she'll be provided for in this faraway land. But the servant also makes clear how the Lord has miraculously moved to fulfill his promises to Abraham by blessing Abraham and Sarah with Isaac at the age of 100, right? And by now, on that very day, leading him, the servant, to Rebekah and revealing her to be his choice as Isaac's bride at the well. So having made his pitch, in verse 49, the servant seeks to close the deal. He says, now then, if you're going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. But what can Rebecca's family say at this point? Right? Both her brother and her father, Bethuel, answer, the thing has come from the Lord. It's come from Yahweh. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go. And let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. So Abraham's servant then bestows on the family and on Rebekah costly gifts, which is the means of a groom's family sealing the deal in an arranged marriage known as a bride price. And he finally sits down for that meal. So having made it through 49 verses of this 67-verse narrative, perhaps you're thinking, okay, you know, interesting story. Maybe you knew elements, remembered elements, maybe not everything. But you may be wondering kind of what gives here? What I want to suggest to you is that what makes this story of the way Abraham secures a bride for his son so significant for us is that it prefigures, it points forward, presages how God the Father would go about securing a bride for his son, Jesus, in the church, in us. If you think about it, the parallels between Jesus and Isaac are pretty startling. To begin with, in Isaac, you have this boy who, before he was even born, there was this great promise made about God blessing all nations through his life. That, of course, prefigures the countless prophecies to that effect that were made about Jesus. Then you have Sarah's miraculous conception of Isaac, despite being 100 years old and barren which prefigures Mary's miraculous conception of Christ by the Holy Spirit. And then there's the story of Sarah having laughed, right? Followed by Abraham giving Isaac a name meaning laughter. And Sarah saying, she said, God has made laughter for me. This is when Isaac's born. She says, everyone who hears will laugh over me. This element of laughter prefigures the joy that Jesus will bring to all who believe but also the words of his mother Mary's song when she says, Behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. But that's not all, right? Because years after Isaac's birth, as recounted in Genesis 22, the Lord had famously called Abraham to sacrifice this beloved son of his on a mountaintop, Mount Moriah. This, of course, prefigures what God would do in sending his only begotten son to the cross on Calvary for us. And Abraham shows a willingness to do this, you remember, 
before an angel, the Lord calls him off right at the last moment, which allowed Abraham to experience both the agony of losing his son in one moment, followed by the joy of his son being restored to him in the next, prefiguring both Jesus' death and resurrection all in one episode. And now, in Genesis 24, Abraham has sought to complete his delight in his son by seeking a bride for him. Just as the Father sent his Holy Spirit to gather believers into the church, which is repeatedly in the New Testament spoken of the church as being the bride of Christ. However, one difference between the church, the bride of Christ, and Rebecca here in the story is Rebecca is a virgin. Verse 16 says, The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. So really, in some ways, the servant meeting her at the well probably more appropriately calls to mind the Samaritan woman whom Jesus meets at the well, who was not pure at all. Remember, she had been married five times and was living with the sixth and had been futilely attempting to slake her spiritual thirst apart from the Lord. And this is surely the condition the Lord finds us in, right? In our sin. And yet, this well and Rebecca's drawing water also points to God's solution for this problem of sin. For it is by the waters of baptism that God cleanses us from our sin and begins the lifelong process of making our character holy. Just as the book of Revelation speaks of the church as making herself ready for her groom. And Paul writes that God will one day present us as a pure virgin to Christ, holy and without blemish. So just as verse 16 notes how Rebecca was adorned with beauty, Revelation says the church will be adorned like a bride for her husband. So it is through this lens that I want to look at the, what's left of the passage, returning to Genesis. Because what transpires the next morning in light of this takes on new meaning. Despite the agreement they'd come to the night before when her family had said of Rebecca, take her and go. When Abraham's servant rises the next morning and requests their leave, Rebecca's family begins hedging on their commitment from the day before. Saying in verse 55, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least 10 days. After that, she may go. A delay of 10 days would provide her family with a little more opportunity to vet this unique situation. But the servant remains resolute as he responds, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. Well, one can't help but think of the many people who sought delay when Jesus invited them to follow him. You'll recall one said to Jesus, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, leave the the dead to bury their own dead. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home, my family. 
Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. But here in the passage, Rebecca's family suggests a compromise. They suggest they, they call her and ask what she wants to do. Now, this is actually very unusual in the ancient world for the potential bride to have any part or say in such a decision. Right? Notably, the night before, they hadn't consulted with Rebecca during the negotiations. Right? But this opportunity for her to choose for herself is really crucial for the analogy to the choice all of us have when it comes to following Christ. So in verse 58, when they they call Rebecca and say to her, they say, will you go with this man? She says, I will go. But think about the choice that she makes there. Her decision is to leave the life she knows for a man she has never seen. And to forsake all others for his sake, even her own kin. Just as we have been called to live by faith, to trust in this man, the Son of God, whom we have never seen. Which isn't easy. This hearkens to what St. Peter writes in his first epistle about Jesus. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Her choice also recalls, though, what we saw a few weeks ago when Jesus taught, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, right? So if Rebecca's choice is not an example of living by faith and taking up your cross, if it's not an Old Testament example of that, I'm not sure what is. And so in verse 59, Rebecca's family finally lets her go. But as the passage comes to a close... Still three parallels remain to our identity as the bride of Christ. First, before Rebecca leaves, her family blesses her, saying, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Well, this presages the promise that Jesus makes to Peter about his church. When he tells Peter, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Then after the long journey, in verse 64, Rebecca's finally able to lay eyes on Isaac. Well, it says when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. But the Hebrew is a little different. It literally says she fell off the camel. Right? There's actually a little, in the Hebrew, there's a little comic relief there. The passage says that when she sees him, she falls down, noting that she doesn't even know yet that it's Isaac. Right? She asks the servant after that, who is this guy? And yet she falls down. 
which is exactly what Isaiah and St. Paul insist every single one of us will do when we finally see our Lord face to face. St. Paul says every knee will fall. And finally, once the servant identifies the man as Isaac, Rebecca takes her veil and covers herself, demonstrating she's his bride. And Isaac consummates the marriage after taking her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and thus demonstrating in that culture that she now is the mistress of this family, of this clan. And that prefigures the promise of Revelation 20 to everyone who shares in Jesus' resurrection. He promises that we will be given dominion to reign with him. We will be priests of God and of Christ and reign with him, it says. So the gospel according to Genesis 24 invites us to identify with Rebekah. In the way Abraham sends his servant after her, God has also sent for us. And whether we were baptized as adults or as young children, the story of Rebecca still applies because she was born into this this family that had God's promise on it, right? And yet the choice was still placed before her when she came of age. And yet that choice remains before us each and every day, right? There may be a point where we make it initially, but each and every day, the choice is before us whether to live by faith, take up our cross, forsake the world, choose to love one above all whom we have never seen and count everything lost for his sake. So like Rebecca, in some ways, with that initial choice we make, we made for Christ, our destiny is set. Everything that matters has been completed. And yet at the same time, it's, it's also only the beginning, just as it is for her. The whole journey remains before us with eternity as its final consummation. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.